Hello and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology, an open access video journal that provides healthcare professionals with trusted and up-to-date information in oncology through innovative digital media, including video interviews, podcasts, webcasts and more. Today, Gilbert Morgan of Scan University Hospital is joined by Darcy Burbage of the Oncology Nursing Society, Kristen Ladd of Centauro Norfolk General and Centauro Independence Infusion Centers, and Elena Ogren of Karolinska University Hospital and Regional Cancer Center to discuss the exciting updates and research in the field of oncology nursing that will be presented in the upcoming Oncology Nursing Society's Bridge and European Oncology Nursing Society meetings. Our speakers discuss innovative approaches to improve patient care, precision medicine, COVID-19 and cancer care, and supporting informal caregivers. Dear colleagues, welcome to this Oncolert BJ Oncology Roundtable. We will be discussing some of the most exciting research that is being presented at the Oncology Nursing Society's Bridge Meeting, which takes place on September 8th, 10th, 15th, and 17th. And of course, the European Oncology Nursing Society meeting in September 19th to the 21st, happening at the same time as the European Society for Medical Oncology meeting. Before I begin, I would like to introduce today's discussants, some amazing oncology nurses and researchers from the US and Europe, Darcy Burbetsch, Helena Olgren, Christine Ladd, Meryl Bank-Thinken, who cannot be with us today due to family emergency, but her slides will be presented. I'm your moderator, Gilbert Morgan. I'm a physician working in medical oncology and also the director of the OncoAlert Network. Today's roundtable will be as follows. Each discussant will pick a subject and will give a short four-minute presentation on the research that will be presented on that specific topic during ONS or the EONS meeting. The discussant panel will then give their opinion and insights on that specific topic. The topics are as follows. Innovative approaches to improve patient care, Presenter Darcy Burbridge, Precision Medicine, Christine Ladd, COVID-19 and Cancer, Helena Olgren, Supporting Informal Carers, Helena Olgren. At the end of the presentations, I will give a short presentation on how this research is important to the oncologist and all doctors involved in cancer care. So without any further delays, let's begin. Darcy? Thank you, Gil and uh, VJ Oncology for inviting me to present today alongside a few of my very favorite colleagues. Um, as Gil mentioned, the ONS Bridge is the inaugural virtual conference for oncology nurses held over four days where nurses can learn about the latest in cancer care. Uh, sessions encompass clinical practice, leadership, management and education, um, and include topics such as navigating financial toxicity, uh, the importance of self-care for oncology nurses, diagnostic oncology, um, plus a glimpse of the future of cancer care, and of course, uh, COVID-19 and cancer, plus many others. Um, based on all of that information I just shared with you, I had a hard time uh, selecting a topic as there were so many great sessions to choose from, but I kept coming back to this theme of nurse-led innovations to improve patient care. In both of these programs, advanced practice registered nurses led the program's development, which included an interdisciplinary team. As we know, cancer treatments can have cardiac toxicities, and those patients with pre-existing conditions or new cardio, uh, cardiac comorbidities are at increased risk. 
In the cardio-oncology clinic, nurses perform initial consults and manage follow-up care in collaboration with the patient's treating oncology team, provide education on lifestyle and medications, as well as triage urgent issues. Preliminary data has shown improved patient outcomes as well as increased patient and clinician satisfaction. Because oncology care has shifted to a mostly ambulatory setting, there has been an increased need and volume of same-day visits for treatment-related effects, which has led to a high utilization of the emergency department, potentially exposing our immunocompromised patients to infectious diseases in the waiting room. Once again, um, advanced practice nurses led a task force to evaluate practice and establish guidelines for a visit in the oncology-specific urgent care center. Preliminary data have shown that urgent care appointments have reduced emergency department visits and subsequent hospital admissions and led to increased patient and clinician satisfaction. Having both of these programs available in community cancer centers improved access to high-quality care, improved collaboration and communication with oncologists, and were found to be cost-effective. Another innovative approach to influence patient care are the oncology nurses' role in research and evidence-based practice. Nurses are leading the development of evidence-based practice resources to assist in the management of side effects related to cancer treatment and care. ONS is moving to transition some of our putting evidence into practice resources, also called PEF resources, to full clinical practice guidelines. Developed using rigorous methodology, the guideline recommendations can be utilized by nurses and other oncology healthcare professionals to improve care for patients with cancer. Guidelines developed thus far include cancer treatment-related skin toxicity, hot flashes, and lymphedema. Those currently in progress are constipation and radiodermatitis. And finally, priorities for the ONS research agenda have been identified. The ONS research agenda serves to identify gaps in the knowledge base needed to deliver quality cancer nursing care to patients and families. Three overarching priorities were also identified where new scientific knowledge is urgently needed, and there were several cross-cutting themes um, that helped provide context for these priorities, which included the aging population, survivorship, as well as healthcare delivery. Examples of areas for further research include the development, testing, and validation of patient-reported outcome tools in patients receiving immunotherapy, examining the role of technology, including telehealth strategies to improve access to care, along with developing and testing interventions for culturally sensitive, palliative, and psychosocial oncology care. Uh, so stay tuned next week to learn more. Any thoughts on uh, Darcy's presentation? Uh, my thought was, uh, thank you, by the way, Darcy, excellent uh, summary. And I really feel I want to hear about this. And also, I, my, one of the thoughts that I kept on thinking was that this really shows the need for advanced practice as well, and how much uh, as cancer nurses we can do 
So I'm, um, it gives me even more you know, energy to think about how we need to develop more advanced practice also throughout Europe. And I think in the US, in a way, you're a role model with the way you have developed advanced practice because many of those things that you were raising is sort of, it requires you have advanced nursing practice to do those innovations. So yeah, thank you for that. It's really good. Um, I agree with you, Helena and Darcy. Um, I absolutely love the idea of oncology-focused urgent care centers. Um, it really allows oncology nurses to act at that peak of their licensure and their expertise um, and identify these critical situations and values um, and implement evidence-based solutions for the patient quickly. Um, and it's a fantastic way to keep our very fragile patients out of the hospital emergency departments and out of um, from having unnecessary hospitalizations, especially now when we have this pandemic going on. Um, so very exciting um, information and innovations. Thank you very much, Christine. Okay, well, moving on to our next presentation on uh, precision medicine, Christine Ladd. Okay, well, thank you for having me this morning. I'm gonna talk a little bit about precision medicine, which to me is a little bit of an oxymoron, it seems like um, we talk about precision and we're narrowing down to um, focused um, treatments for patients, but it really is such a huge um, topic. So I struggled a little bit to um, narrow it down. So this is a very high level um, presentation for you. But when we talk about precision medicine, what are we really talking about? Talking about using very specific information about a person's cancer to help diagnose, to treat, to prognosticate, and provide appropriate surveillance throughout their cancer trajectory. It is rapidly revolutionizing cancer care. Um, and it's about developing and delivering the right uh, therapy and the right approach for the right patient at the right time, whether that's diagnostic or therapeutic. Um, seems right now the greatest abundance of research and the most enthusiasm obviously is um, within cancer treatment. And there is a great potential that exists with precision medicine to cure more types of cancer, increase survival, and improve overall patient care. So why is precision medicine so important to oncology nursing um, today? And what you need to understand, obviously, is that precision medicine touches every single aspect of oncology nursing care, from prevention um, methods to early detection, all the way, obviously, through diagnostic um, and treatment modalities and even supportive care. And while we tend to get really excited about new treatments and their potential to create longer progression-free survival, overall survival for our patients, there's just so much more to it. So we really have to dig deep um, and understand the role that nurses play in positive patient outcomes. In the US, nurses have uh, claimed the number one rank as the most trusted professionals in our country for 18 years in a row. So as nurses, we often get the privilege of spending more time in front of the patients than the oncologist does. Um, we, it just fosters and creates this um, intimate relationship. Um, it's just different from any other patient healthcare provider relationship or nursing specialty. Um, the patients tell us about their hopes. They tell us about their dreams. They also ask questions that they may not have asked their oncologist because they felt uncomfortable. Um, they tell us about side effects they're experiencing. Um, and it's really because of this relationship that we are able to foster. 
um, because of this relationship, this close patient um, oncology nursing relationship, um, it impacts oncology nurses um, and, and what we can do and how we can impact across the board as far as precision medicine. Oncology nurses, um, as a result, have a responsibility to learn about the science and initiatives um, supporting precision oncology. We um, are at the forefront of the cancer epidemic, battling it every minute of every day all the way around the world, delivering care, carrying out the clinical trials, and advancing evidence-based practice. This allows uh, cancer nurses to provide clear patient education um, to increase their understanding. It allows us to address challenges that the patients face, and this is actually what leads to better outcomes and quality of life for our oncology patients. The challenge with precision medicine, um, as far as education, is that it, it's a tremendous challenge in keeping up with this rapidly evolving concepts and findings. Um, what we're seeing is that although precision medicine and genomics are moving forward very quickly, it's extremely difficult to um, keep up with genomic literacy and uh, precision medicine literacy keep pace. So there's this huge, pressing, growing need for uh, education in oncology nurses in terms of understanding and appreciating fundamental treatment modalities like CAR-T therapy uh, and immunotherapies and the very specific side effects and known adverse effects um, that these, these uh, therapies can elicit. The need for oncology education is really twofold. So that the nurse can provide the patient education and therefore manage the side effects and promote regimen adherence and keep the patients out of acute care facilities, but also so that the nurse can quickly navigate and treat known adverse events like cytokine release syndrome um, and immune factor cell associated neurotoxicities when they happen. Another uh, challenge that precision medicine has brought about um, has to do with ethics. On top of the challenge of keeping up to date on new treatment modalities, uh, precision medicine is creating new and evolving oncology nursing roles in the realm of ethics regarding privacy, confidentiality, fairness, and cost. And oncology nurses are uniquely qualified to provide insight into these issues faced by our patients. As I mentioned before, uh, precision medicine presents both tremendous potential and tremendous challenges, and that's where our oncology nursing bridge comes in. So this is just a quick screenshot with some of the topics that are gonna be coming up for our ONS bridge. I am just so excited about this new launch, um, a new offering for Oncology Nursing Society. It's gonna help connect oncology nurses with resources and education that, are, that will support us as we navigate the challenges and issues presented with rapid progression of precision medicine. So like I said, these are just a few examples of content that are planned specifically pertaining to precision medicine, both in clinical practice, um, in terms of professional practice areas and ethics and advocacy. So as you can see, there are so many opportunities for oncology nurses to learn and earn contact hours um, of nursing continuing professional education development specific to precision medicine. There'll be live um, sessions where the nurses can interact with expert speakers um, and engage with other nurses within our profession. But what I think is exceptionally interesting, cool, however you want to phrase it, are that there are over 500 e-posters 
and these are um, is research by nurses, oncology nurses, and what they've learned, what they've done, um, and the impact that they're having, and how we can learn from them and do the same around the globe. So, um, I have opportunity to review over 500 of those as well. Um, and attendees will have the opportunity to learn how they can leverage their leadership capabilities as well. And that is all I have. If anybody would want to reach out, there's my contact information, but hopefully we will get to see you on September 8th, 10th, 15th, or 17th. And then it will be um, available on demand as well after that through the 17th of October. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Uh, Darcy, any thoughts? Yeah, um, first, you know, thank you, Christine. That was a really great overview of uh, precision medicine. And I um, was thinking when you were, you know, discussing about the importance of managing adverse effects from immunotherapy. Um, as you touched upon, it really calls upon for precision education of the patient, as most um, immune-related adverse effects are different uh, than the usual side effects that patients may have experienced if they were on you know, traditional uh, chemotherapy prior to starting immunotherapy. So as oncology nurses, it's important for us to perform a, a thorough baseline symptom assessment before patients start their uh, immunotherapy treatment or CAR T-cell therapy, um, which can also help facilitate discussions of you know, these immune uh, related adverse effects and um, side effects that they need to watch out for, and also the importance of uh, providing them with a, a card that they can carry with them that I know ONS has developed in some other organizations. So in case they are somewhere else that the um, clinician can know how to treat them and contact their medical oncologist to help manage these effects. So uh, thank you. It was great. I think you really highlighted, Christine, thank you, the challenges and as a cancer nurse in the era of precision medicine or personalized medicine, I see the challenge that we are used to, but even more coming on stronger personalized care. Like how, how do we really get our patients to, for example, uh, follow the self-care advice we give them? It requires that you know them well, you see them a lot, you follow them throughout and uh, I think the symptom management uh, in precision medicine is has been taking us to a higher level of that because you, you you know you can keep them on treatment longer if they contact us earlier, which is sometimes not what patients do. They're scared to to sort of reveal too many side effects and things like that. So I think uh, you know you highlighted really well all the challenges and and we have so much to learn and I look forward to to hear more. Thank you. Absolutely. And now moving on to uh, the next presenter, uh, Helena Ulgren, uh, who has the tough job of uh, having her own uh, presentation on COVID-19 and cancer. And then she will be uh, taking on uh, Meryl's presentation on supporting informal carers. So after uh, she will do the COVID-19 and cancer presentation, we will take on thoughts and then we'll start off with supporting informal carers. Okay, thank you so much for inviting me, Jill, and uh, I'm excited to also hear that we are sort of sharing uh, experiences and, and hot topics between US and Europe, and I think we have a lot of challenges that we, that we really have in, com in common now. Uh, so I want to talk about briefly one of the hot topics in, uh, that we will also address in EON's 13th session in uh, September. Um, 
So how do COVID-19 affect our patients? And of course, this is just a few of the challenges I've been highlighting. Of course, we don't have enough knowledge. We don't have enough evidence. Uh, this came just down on us, basically. And what we have seen so far, I think, throughout not only Europe and Sweden, where I'm from throughout the world, is delays in diagnosis and treatment. And not only because we, we need the resources elsewhere, because the patients are scared to come in to treatment and to come to the hospital. We're seeing uh, unusual complications from treatments, and we also see how isolated our patients are. Uh, they come uh, when they have to to the hospital and then they isolate at home, scared to get COVID-19. And really, uh, this put a lot of, of strain and stress on our patients in addition. And also uh, symptom assessment that are even more challenging, uh, I'd say, with this pandemic uh, ongoing. So how can we learn? Of course, we need a lot of uh, research, but we also need to have things like this and share you know, experiences between each other. Uh, and I, I think one of the biggest challenges I'm facing is, for example, how we, um, what type of treatment uh, is more risky if the patient's uh, getting a COVID-19 infection? Is it immunotherapy, is it chemotherapy and the timing? and we, we do know too little about that, and we can only sort of now see some evidence coming on to pointing towards that it's not perhaps uh, going uh, better for patients on immunotherapy that perhaps people thought from the beginning it, it's, uh, the outcomes are even worse there. But we need so much more uh, information on this. And how do we treat our patients safely? but perhaps need a, a treatment uh, urgently, but they are testing positive for COVID-19. Uh, and how do we assess and differentiate between uh, difficult symptoms? For example, uh, we have seen a few uh, pneumonitis that we thought were COVID-19, but they were actually pneumonitis uh, from, uh, from the radiotherapy to the lungs, things like that. And also how we keep the patients safe and uh, manage to include family caregivers uh, despite that they can't come to the hospital, for example. I have also seen a lot of uh, need to be better in infection control and to educate our, our other healthcare professionals. I think the nurses and assistant nurses are experts on hygiene and infection control, but we need more education um, to everyone, really. And also, as uh, I think Darcy mentioned, telehealth is coming on strong, uh, which is uh, something we could use more. So in one way, I can see that the cancer nurses are coming in so clearly here. Uh, the need for holistic symptom assessment and support is so uh, strong even more now during COVID-19 pandemic, I think. Uh, so I really hope you can join. Uh, the session is uh, it's uh, four speakers that will talk about both re early research and uh, quality assurance projects. And then we will have a live discussion. So I really hope you can tune in. And uh, yeah, I look forward to perhaps see uh, more of you there. Thank you. Yeah, what I think is really um, has been challenging is the um, isolation that the oncology patients and their supportive um, members are are facing. You know, as well as the oncology nurses. Um, but when you already have a difficult situation that's stressful, it's anxiety ridden. 
patients aren't in a place to absorb information and education um, that's provided to them. So I think this has really brought about um, brought to light how important it is to provide patients with clear and concise printed information that they can take home for reference later um, to look back at when they need it, um, but also to be able to give that to their caregiver um, so that the caregivers feel supported. Um, it gives the caregiver a concrete material to review at home and just creates an extra layer of support. Um, and, you know, the mental health needs need to really need to be a continued um, point of focus um, in of research, particularly in this instance and in how heightened stress and anxiety from the pandemic may even be contributing to decreased adherence to treatment regimens, especially if they're oral, um, and lesser quality outcomes. I think it's going to be interesting to see in the long run. Thanks, Helena. That was, you know, a great presentation. And I, I kept on um, thinking when you were talking about, you know, when cancer and COVID collide. And, you know, we've really had this experience um, with the, the pandemic. And I think we're just really beginning to understand how COVID-19 affected our patients and their family members. And, you know, as well as us as oncology nurses and other clinicians. So, you know, we were all trying to figure out how to keep them safe. And then hearing from patients and their family members how scared they were um, being dropped off at the cancer center um, for their treatment or surgery and being by themselves and perhaps if they were there for a, a six-hour infusion and we as the oncology nurses were providing them support the best we could you know trying to maintain social distancing all at the same time and you know you know in addition to that you know the end-of-life care for patients when you know perhaps they were once again alone or if um, only one family member were able to be present. So I, I think it, we really need to um, pay attention. And as both you and Christine touched upon, these mental health issues are need to be addressed now and ongoing as the pandemic continues. So um, thank you for bringing that up. Excellent. Now we can move on to the second presentation and that's on informal cares. I want to say this presentation was made by my colleague from the Netherlands, Mary Van Kinken. She couldn't be here today, but the topic that she picked from the program uh, was uh, supporting for my carers that will also be on the 20th of September. So, and I think uh, everything we talked about, we touched upon this topic, I guess. Uh, and one of the things that Darcy was mentioning now, uh, you know, that's even more sort of in the, in the spotlight now is, is uh, where the patients die. And dying at home, we, we know from previous research that many patients really prefer to die at home. And that's one of the, the situations where the family caregivers or informal carers, whatever you call, you choose to call them, is something that uh, we require a lot from them and they need a lot from us. But I think that's where we fail sometimes. Uh, and many, pati many patients that doesn't have that type of support at home, and, and if we fail to support the family caregivers, they spend their last days in hospital instead. And um, so I think a really key factor as an oncology nurse or all healthcare profession professionals in cancer care is to see the family caregivers and to really reach out to them and, and uh, try to support them the best we can. And we have many issues that we need to address because uh, from previous research, uh, we have seen that uh, family caregivers actually do work similar to healthcare professionals at home. Uh, 
but without education. And they coordinate care, they titrate medicines for the patients, they decide when to call us and things like that. So we need to work more systematic on health literacy and to help them to care for each other, for themselves. And also uh, perhaps more evidence on how to support them. What is the evidence? What is the, the interventions that we need to do to support the family caregivers? Uh, so I hope you can uh, listen in on the program and I think they will uh, speak about the role of the nurse in terms of supporting the family caregivers and to educate them. them. And uh, perhaps I'm hoping to hear something on um, what type of interventions are suggested to really support them in the right way. Um, so it's the 20th of September and I hope you can join. It will also be a discussion on this. Thank you. Thank you, um, Helena, and also Meryl for putting these thoughts together and um, sharing them with us. And absolutely, I am in awe of our um, family caregivers. I mean, what they do is just amazing, you know, and most of them have no healthcare background at all, as we know. And I think it's really important, and you had touched upon that, and, you know, how that we recognize uh, the valuable role that cancer caregivers have um, and how valuable it is to the person living with cancer. And as oncology nurses, um, you know, and Christine touched upon this on her presentation too, is that we spend a lot of time with the patients and their caregivers. So we're the first ones to see their distress and their stress. So, you know, we can really pick up on a pick up on that, you know, and help them um, manage the care that they're providing to the patients. And also it's important that we remind them that they need to take care of themselves as well. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to accept help. And it's perfectly acceptable, you know, to take time for themselves as they very much uh, should um, if it's you know, eating healthy, exercising. So it's very important. Um, we can also also help facilitate, you know, interventions to um, help improve the health-related quality of life that they're experiencing. So I, I think it's great that you touched upon, you know, what are those interventions? And I've heard uh, caregivers say, you know, it's hard to be on the sidelines. So I think, you know, as you mentioned, that we're really beginning to look at research and, and help um, define those interventions to help improve the quality of life of our caregivers because they provide such a great uh, source of uh, support and care for their loved ones. So thanks. Um, I completely agree with you, Darcy and Helena and Meryl. Um, what's really complicating um, for this right now is, you know, the very important aspect of psychosocial support of the measures that so many of our facilities are having to put in place right now to protect our fragile population during the pandemic. Um, so here for us in Virginia, oncology practices and um, hospitals aren't allowing visitors to come into the facility at all um, out of just protection for the patients, protection for the healthcare workers, and then the visitors as well. So this is creating a huge challenge for the um, oncology nurses, but those caregivers um, that aren't able to be there at the bedside when something um, critical is happening. Um, so, you know, oncology nursing education is having to take an extra step to try to um, push our nurses to be innovators um, and work hard to find new ways to leverage our technology. Um, for example, with FaceTime, Zoom meetings, um, to ensure that the patients and the caregivers are well supported. So 
So whether that means, you know, the oncology patient that's on their day one of treatment and doesn't have somebody there with them to learn, but the nurse pulls up her iPhone and calls and has a three-way conversation with everybody so everyone feels supported and gets the information, um, or if it's on Zoom, you're doing it in a way with, um, that's safe and at a safe distance. So I think um, it's not only important to really have those caregivers involved, but it's just a really big challenge right now that the nurses, the oncology nurses, have really risen to the occasion and just found ways to get it done. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you much, everyone, uh, for great presentations. Uh, I have to say it's uh, been quite hard to kind of hold my tongue. Uh, I have thoughts on everything. Uh, these are all, uh, I mean, the, the, the meetings are going to be great with uh, the, the subjects you guys have touched on. However, there are specific things that I would like to uh, touch on. And of course, uh, uh, coming from the oncology side, uh, you, one normally has a tendency to go into the treatments and the fancy drugs and everything that ends in ab. Uh, but I'm going to try not to go there today because there's so much more than that. And there's so much that an oncologist could actually learn. Uh, not it, just because it's, 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 a, it's an uh, oncology nursing society meeting does not mean that the oncology physician cannot learn from it. And I think that is the one thing that I'm, I'm trying to uh, get our colleagues to, to realize is that we are a team and we can learn a lot from each other. So uh, I'm going to do my presentation, which is... Uh, it's uh, what I think an oncologist should be uh, learning from, uh, from the presentations that y'all just gave. Thank you all so much for uh, wonderful presentations. And uh, this is uh, my take on uh, what the oncologists can learn. And of course, the breakdown, which we have already had, are innovative approaches to improve patient care, precision oncology, COVID-19 and cancer, and supporting informal carers. Now, when talking about innovative approaches to improve patient care, uh, these are all great approaches. Uh, it, it, it was a wonderful presentation, uh, and we need to adopt these to care better for our patients. However, uh, the topics that I'm very glad were addressed were the topics on palliative care, psychosocial care, and health disparities. This is something that uh, everyone in oncology should be championing, from oncologists to oncology nurses to patient advocates. We have uh, had many studies that have indicated that early introduction of palliation or a palliative team can lead to better quality of life. Uh, and I'm very glad that we are trying to remove that stigma and that we're coming along with palliation. So there's, there's a lot of really good research that can be done and that it's coming out within this area. In terms of health disparities, uh, this is something that is hitting close to home. Uh, as minority populations have a higher total incidence of cancer and a higher total death rate, uh, I see this, uh, or I've, I saw that in my home state of Texas. I now live in Sweden. I've done so for 10 years. However, I've uh, done some, some research there, uh, and uh, especially around South Texas, where I'm from, that it's uh, predominantly Hispanic, uh, there is a lot of these disparities. So I think a lot needs to be done here in terms of screening and, of course, the inclusion of more minorities in clinical trials. Uh, and we're very happy that this is something that is gaining traction 
due to a lot of support from NCI, uh, from uh, other societies uh, that, that have really taken this on. So I'm, I'm very excited to have this kind of research being presented at these meetings. Talking about precision oncology, I know everybody's thinking I'm going to hop on to how wonderful these drugs are, and they are pretty awesome. Uh, I am uh, you know, working in oncology, you do have to be a little bit of a nerd, uh, and I am. So we're living in a very fantastic time where certain targets that were before we thought were undruggable, now we actually have FDA approved medications that, that it's actually, it's a big deal because uh, not so long ago we thought that this is something that it was a dead end and now we're seeing that with the technology it's making it possible to start uh, treat these alterations uh, and not just based on the cancer type but based on their genome so however the other side of the coin is the financial toxicity that comes with these kind of treatments so although noble does necessarily mean expensive it almost always does we need to be advocates for our patients and remember that that money to pay for medication has to come from somewhere. Some patients have to travel very long distances, pay hotels, parking, childcare, you name it. So although we as doctors are very much cheerleaders for these therapies, we also have to take a step back and act as facilitators in helping patients address these kind of problems. So I'm very happy that uh, all this research in precision medicine is happening, and I really like that uh, I saw in there about financial toxicity, because I think this is something that we all need to start addressing because it's really affecting our patients. In the area of COVID-19 and cancer, uh, it's been amazing how we have been able to adapt under a very short time. Uh, countries have learned from each other's experiences and many things have been implemented. Some things are very much here to stay, such as the case with telehealth. However, one of the things research has taught us or what we have seen is that we can expect a large boom in cancer and avoidable cancer deaths as a result of this pandemic because of the delays in screening. So this is something that we are going to have to prepare ourselves uh, and we're going to have to have different plans. So this is good that we're already thinking ahead and uh, figuring out how we're going to take care of our cancer patients in the future. Not only that, if we are in the middle, I guess one could argue if we're in the middle of a second wave or if it's been just one big wave, but we can adapt so that we can decrease this. Or if this happens again, after we get over this, so that we don't fall into the same traps and our cancer patients that are vulnerable do not fall victims to this. So now, in supporting informal cares. Uh, this is, I went a little bit off of a tangent here, but this is the reason why. So for me, it's, it's amazing what an oncology nurse can actually do in the life of a patient, uh, even especially in the life of a doctor. Uh, here in Sweden, the role of the oncology contact nurse is essential. Uh, an oncology professional who has constant contact with a patient who knows that person's situation in real time. And this allows us to work in a team. There are a lot of things that a contact nurse can solve. However, in cases where it requires for an oncologist to be involved, there are always available times there because the contact nurse has taken a lot of the work. So as an oncologist, you can hop in. You're not, because it's, it's been kind of triaged, the things that you're going to take on. Uh, now, the reason I say this is because just the same kind of importance that we put on the contact nurses 
that information that that contact nurse can give to the informal carers is just gold because they are the ones that are in constant communication with those informal carers. They're the ones that know exactly what they can recommend that those carers do. And that gives our patients a big sense of security. So I think this is, this is something that definitely we, we need to focus a little more on this because we are going to rely on informal carers more and more as this pandemic continues. And of course, later on, if it happens again. So my take home messages, uh, we need to include more minorities in clinical trials and introduce earlier palliative care, which I think some of the research that is going to come out is going to, to tackle. Although new innovative treatments are great, we cannot forget the financial toxicity they generate for our patients. We need to be able to deal with the increase of cancer cases that come as a result of delayed screening and treatments. And the role of the oncology nurse is very important to improve the well-functioning of an oncology, team, an oncology team, but also what that nurse can give to the informal care. And with that, I thank you very much. Um, I will just say that it seems appropriate to me that uh, 2020 has been being the year of the nurse, um, and we got a pandemic as our gift. Um, but what I would say is oncology nurses um, and within ourselves, we recognize ourselves as nurse scientists, researchers, and innovators. Um, but outside, I don't know that everybody always sees that as well. So I really thank you for this opportunity um, to really just show how nurses are part of that team um, and how they make such a big difference as far as research and innovations, because um, they really are superstars. Uh, the challenges that were brought on by COVID-19 really just magnified the extraordinary talent the skill, the innovativeness um, of our oncology nurses across the globe. Um, I've seen firsthand time and again oncology nurses rise to the challenge. Um, so I invite you again to come um, and learn more with us at the Oncology Nursing Society's Bridge Program in September 8th, 10th, 15th, and 17th. But thank you for having us. Thank you, Christine. Helena, any uh, parting thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first I want to thank you all, and it was very inspiring to hear, in a way, refreshing. You're not alone in many of your challenges, and you can, you know, help each other. And I think one good thing that came out from this pandemic is things like this. We've been much better with actually doing webinars and meetings, uh, you know, like this. So I think that's very good. And then in terms of what you said, Jill, of course, I... I I, I agree with all your points, and I think uh, what we've shown also a little bit today here is we should have more sessions in the future together, I think, and address topics from more multidisciplinary. I mean, we have the EON's ESMO conference uh, at the same time, in the same venue, if we meet. Uh, and now when we have virtual, we have them during the same dates, but we should have also sessions together and address issues uh, like, for example, precision medicine or family caregivers together. And uh, I, I, same for you guys in the U.S., I mean, ASCO, ONS, you, you should, we should have address issues together much more than we do. And I think that's one of the things that really is, you know, struck me when I heard Gil's uh, sort of wrap-up and, and comments from the oncologist's perspective. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Uh, from the oncology side, if, if I might add, uh, I, uh, 
I was in an Eons uh, Esmo session last year. I I, I gave it a, a yeah, I, I believe it was the second the second or third day of the Congress, and it, it was a wonderful experience to be able to share the stage uh, with uh, some of our our, our oncology nursing colleagues uh, because you, you're able to give the whole spectrum. It's a, it's a 360 view. Now, the, the wonderful thing about oncology is that we, it, there is no hierarchy. We, we, we all do a job. Uh, we do it for our patient, uh, and we have very different jobs. So all we're doing is just giving our different bits of our jobs of how it comes together into a whole to actually help the patient in the best way. So it, it's something that I can only advocate for that tighter contact and uh, tighter, not only communication, but also working together uh, between uh, the oncology nursing and the oncologist, uh, because I, I think a lot of good can come to that. So I, I really like that part of uh, EONS and uh, the ASMO Congress, is that it's, it's bringing us together. And I, I've even seen a lot more oncologists showing up to the, the, the tracks that are branded as the oncology nursing sessions, but there's still a lot that we can learn. So I, I urge all my colleagues out there to you know, just break the mold a little bit and uh, step into a session that is uh, not labeled immunotherapy for oncologists. Darcy? Great point. And um, may I just add, uh, Gil, that, you know, with this, you know, pandemic came opportunities and I've seen more collaboration um, between, you know, oncology nurses oncologists, um, as well as patients, because we've all had to work together and we're all in this together and we're getting through this together. So this really has, you know, although it's kind of upsurped all of us across the globe, it really has brought us together to improve patient care and um, be part of that, you know, really see each other as team members. Um, and I think, you know, this is only the, the beginning of, you know, perhaps a, um, pandemic positive, if there could be such a thing, and, you know, collaboration more with quality improvement, um, research between the disciplines, and also bringing in our, our patients who are living with cancer, and, you know, and finally, I, I think the importance of, and what I love about uh, ESMO and EONS is that you guys are together. Perfect. Uh, well, uh, with that being said, we thank you all for joining us today. Uh, thanking our colleagues, uh, Darcy, Helena, Christine. And thanking Meryl very much for her contributions to the program and sending her our well wishes. Hope everyone is uh, tuning in for the ONS Bridge and the EONS meeting. Remember that we're all part of the same team. And just because something is labeled as oncology nursing track does not mean that the, the cancer physician cannot learn something from that. So encouraging all our oncology MDs uh, to tune in and uh, watch this great si science that is coming out of the two meetings. Of course, uh, a big uh, shout out to all of our oncology nursing colleagues and uh, hope uh, y'all enjoy this uh, this wonderful meetings thank y'all thank you for listening if you have found this podcast useful please leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app including apple and spotify so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology to join in the conversation and visit vjoncology.com for the latest updates in the field.